Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. find that if I'm com- if I'm really comfortable in what I'm doing then I'm kind of just skating in some sense so I want to always challenge myself I think for me just making sure for me that it's expressive and not communicative you know not getting too caught up with some idea that I want an audience to to feel or to think or any of that Listeners, hello. Welcome to another episode of Backstages in the Envelope. I'm your host, Jack, and as always, I'm excited to bring you this week's amazing guest. This week, though, I feel like is extra special as we have another lovely joint conversation. As always, these conversations between two collaborators are so insightful and so illuminating and so much more of a conversation than I think we are typically used to. But it's with Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac, two of, I would say, the hardest working actors today, extremely prolific. They've both been known to come out with five movies in one year. And um, we are speaking to them today on the heels of the wonderful Scenes from a Marriage, which is the HBO adaptation of the 1973 Swedish miniseries, which is considered the great filmmaker Ingmar Bergman's, like one of his masterpieces. Uh, It famously is said to have doubled the divorce rate in Sweden. So if you don't know anything about Scenes from a Marriage, that's sort of the vibe. We shall see if this um, HBO version, which by the way is adapted and directed by Haggai Levy, uh, we'll see if that has the similar effect. It's Jessica and Oscar portraying the very intimate scenes from a very fraught and complicated marriage. And I really, I've been watching it and just, I just consider it to be like the acting Olympics be on the lookout for this come SAG award season, come this coming TV award season, next year's Emmys, all of that as usual. Jessica and Oscar Magnificent. Listen, okay, listen. I've been doing this podcast for over four years. This podcast has always provided really amazing insights into this, this crazy craft of acting and navigating the career of a career in Hollywood and the arts. Still, though, listening to Jessica and Oscar, who have such an amazing rapport and who are practically reading each other's minds, you'll hear, it was just reminded me that Award-winning A-list movie stars are award-winning A-list movie stars for a reason. (laughs) The insights that you'll hear in this interview are, you know, so profound and yet also so relatable. They really know how to break down their processes because they know their processes as artists intimately. And what's also cool is they know each other's. Again, they're, they're totally on the same wavelength. Stay tuned to the end of this interview and you'll hear Jessica tell us Oscar's worst audition horror story. Certainly a first on this podcast, certainly a first for backstage. 
So I am going to uh, have us take a quick break and then get to this amazing interview with Jessica and Oscar. And as always, head over to Backstage.com. The article that goes with this piece will be linking to their both of their cover stories of old, a recent piece on how they navigated portraying intimacy on camera, and lots of other goodies, as usual, over at Backstage.com. All right. Thank you, Oscar and Jessica, for joining us. Let's get to it. This podcast is, of course, brought to you, listeners, by Backstage. Listen, aside from all the great inspiration and tips and all of that stuff we offer for free, like this amazing podcast, Backstage also gives you access to incredible casting calls all over the world. That is why it's the world's number one casting platform. If you're curious or if you're an actor yourself and you really want to jumpstart your career and you're ready to take the advice and the inspiration you've heard here in this very episode and use it, go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E. That's, again, 30 days completely free to try backstage where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start browsing the casting notices, and start applying to jobs because who knows, maybe one day I'll be interviewing you. Again, that's backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. Actor-producers Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac met at the Juilliard School of Drama and have since reunited on screen in A Most Violent Year and this season, HBO's remake of Scenes from a Marriage. Jessica is an Academy Award nominee for The Help and Zero Dark Thirty and has led The Tree of Life, Interstellar, Molly's Game, and now The Eyes of Tammy Faye and The 355. Oscar has earned awards for his work in Ex Machina, Inside Lewin Davis, Show Me a Hero, and the Star Wars movies, and now stars in The Card Counter and Dune. Without further ado, the amazing Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac. Hello, how are you both? Hi, good, how are you? Great. Hanging in there. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Um, congratulations on the like many, many things going on. Um, Jessica, there's been all of these awards and nominations for Eyes of Tammy Faye. And Oscar, you literally got a Gotham nomination this morning. So congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. So we usually start this podcast asking about your career beginnings. But because of both of you are here together, I got to ask about um, Juilliard. Let's get right into it. How did you two meet? Um, uh, we met at, in the halls of Juilliard. Jessica was an imposing third year and I was a, a first year, uh, freshman, right? I think when I first came to Juilliard and, uh, I saw you, wow, what was the first thing? I think, I think it was Romeo and Juliet was the first. Well, no, the first was like the showings. All the actors have to get up and, and do monologues. And um, the first year always does their audition pieces, and then it prog- progressively gets weirder and weirder as the years go go on. Um, and then and then I saw you play Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Those were very strong memories. You sitting in like a little moon cutout. <laughs> oh, lovely! The balcony scene was the moon cutout. That's yeah. what he's that was the balcony scene. Yeah, yeah. so great. And did you guys work together in any in any shows or classes there? Yeah. No. There's a lot of like 
school dances or parties or whatever where uh I'd be teasing Oscar we'd be like sitting on a sofa like talking about the group and around us and uh life and it was really sweet it was a a great way for us to um connect in a really funny pure optic way yeah and then also uh she uh Jessica came down to Florida to watch my <laughs> ska band play oh she danced in a cage. Um, <laughs> An impromptu. An impromptu cage dance happened in support. And there is some video of me like headbanging somewhere doing that. I just, we've lost it's it. True. It's true. Maybe, I, maybe I've destroyed it. <laughs> That's so, so cute that you guys met in college and that you are truly friends. Um, but before that, why acting? How were you both initially inspired? It was a way to escape. Um mm. I think it really started more in earnest uh parents divorced and it was around that t- same time that i just really um got into it i went to um this christian school where we would do these plays but they were actually like big lip syncing plays where there would be like these uh kind of story songs from the bible and uh one of them was like jesus and the devil in a boxing match and uh, and I got to play the devil in that one, and we just I would just have to like memorize all the words and lip sync them, uh, and so I did like three of those, and I just remember really taking them so seriously and <laughs> listening to the recordings and writing it all down, and and uh, I think it was just like a way to to cope with all of the uncertainty that was going on, and and then that um, and that was fifth grade, sixth grade, and shortly after that I got kicked out of, I got ex- ex- expelled from yes. uh, school, I was going to have to go to this uh, one that like didn't have, didn't allow dancing or singing or anything. And then a <laughs> hurricane came and blew it down. Um, and, oh uh, and then I ended up going to the, a public school and, and uh, just kept at it, sort of making movies with friends and just always loved it as a, as just a, an escape. That's such a great answer. Yeah. It is all about escape. Yeah. And Jessica, I know you were an, an amateur artistic director of stage shows <laughs> as a kid. Oh, <laughs> wow, you didn't—you read. You went way back in the research. I, um, yeah, I mean, when I, I lived <laughs> in this area where I would, um, I, I, we grew up uh, without a lot, and um, so there was no really exposure to any kind of theater or anything like that, except for, you know, what what was happening at school. And so I would get all the kids together in the neighborhood and try to put on plays for uh, the parents. I would like (laughs) direct them and like, but act in them. And it it was, it was horrific. Um, But I think it's like, um, it was some kind of outlet for me. It wasn't so much about like, I mean, I guess in the beginning, maybe it's a sense of escape where it's this you know, you're, it's this fantasy of what life could be. Um, but now also too, I feel like it's, it's a way of getting to know myself on a, a deeper level. So it's, you know, it's a escape. Um, it, instead of a running away from it's running to something, which I, I find really exciting, um, and, and, uh, expanding in terms of like what I, what I learn about my life and the people around me. That is really beautiful. Is that as close to a personal or artistic manifesto? Do 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 you guys have like maybe even a, a really set in stone? This is what I would like to ha- to pull from my career or from my life. Your artistic values. Ooh, 
I don't know if I have a manifesto like in thinking mm-hmm. of that because it's unless it's it's like it's fluid, so it's 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 like liquid where nothing is um structured in a finite way. Yeah. Everything is very flexible and ever growing and ever moving. But you know, things that are important to me is is I like to be provocative uh, mm-hmm. in terms of myself and in terms of an audience. I love the idea that of creating something that make people uncomfortable uh, because that means it's moved someone in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to not be com- I don't like to be comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. I find that if I'm com- if I'm really comfortable in what I'm doing, then I'm kind of just skating in some sense. Mm-hmm. So I want to always challenge myself i i I can be quite um severe and really brutal on myself um and by putting my by putting me in situations that feel uh emotionally unsafe i think because of that wow yeah that's wonderful and oscar um yeah i don't i don't have a manifesto i mean i think maybe early on i had i had a little more sense of um you know really wanting to express the the messiness of life a bit more and um yeah i think for me just just making sure for me that it's it's expressive and not communicative you know um not getting too caught up with mm. some idea that i want an audience to to feel or to think or any of that that i i, I try to remind remind myself to stay more expressive about um whatever thoughts that i'm having and let them not not have too much control. I love that expressive, but not communicative, because it's it suggests that uh, your approach is more poetic, less literal, maybe. Yeah, and that's just for me. I don't think it's wrong to necessarily to communicate, but for me, I've just found yeah. that it it's a more freeing feeling to to be like don't you know to not get caught up with like I want this moment to be dot dot dot. Yeah, yeah. That it's just let 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 whatever thoughts and feelings and all whatever work happen just uh, express themselves however they will. I love that. I can see I can see both of the both of your sets of values in your work, I think. Um, now, in terms of technique, and maybe this is going back to Juilliard, what kinds of tools, techniques, I, I, I know that it's just a plethora, a whole variety of kind of tools that you're given. How often are those directly relevant to the jobs you're doing now? Like what were the biggest takeaways that you find yourself still using? I, for me, the most important thing is just to try everything. I'm constantly in situations um, where, whether it be a singing teacher or an accent coach or a movement, you know, someone who's working on a movement thing or a director who asks me to try something. And like, you kind of have that moment of like, yeah, but the character wouldn't do this. Or, Mm. you know, there, there tends to be that pushback. And I saw that a lot, I guess, in school. In school, I really taught me of like, who cares? Like, just try it. <laughs> Everything's mm. an exercise. So if you're saying no to, to it all, then like, what are you actually learning? What are you, how are you growing? So I'm definitely someone who like runs into my life. I lead with yes. And um, I try to be more expansive than constrictive. And I think that's the biggest tool that school has taught me. Cool. I mean, something like Tammy Faye is more of that act like there's accent and singing and you know um the pitch of the voice and all of that and scenes from a marriage is more interior work um but it all kind of comes from this uh 
mantra of wanting to say yes and be curious and be, I guess, hopeful um, and open. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's really, really well said. I think uh, I agree. I think that's why Jess and I have a similar approach because I think we took a lot of that uh, training in a similar way. You know, Um, I know a lot of people would get, you know, they feel like attacked, their identities attacked by some of the stuff that they'd be asked to do. And, you know, and sometimes with good reason, you know, it's like, mm. you know, it was, it was for, I don't know if it's still called that, but it's like, you know, American standard speech as opposed, you know, so implying that anything else that you're speaking is substandard, you know, these kind of ideas, but I would still get very excited about learning it. Um, and I remember Kate Wilson saying, you know, it's tools, not rules. And mm. And so just using these things as tools that either I could discard if they didn't speak to me uh, or use, but at least try using them and see what they do. Um, so that I think that kind of curiosity for sure. And then actually one thing that I often say too when I'm you know looking at a script is something that uh, Becky Guy, who directed that Romeo and Juliet that I saw Jessica in, uh, said was um, it's, it's about what's possible, not what's probable. So, you know, like, yeah, I, would someone probably do that? No, probably not. But is it possible someone could? <laughs> and that's a bit more exciting because that lets your imagination go. Yeah, that is super exciting. That just encompasses so much. Like it applies to all, everything you both just said applies to so many different roles. Is each time you take on a new role a complete, like starting from scratch? Isn't there also like the most recent role or maybe a character you played years ago resurfaces and like informs the process anew? I mean, for me, it's not that a character resurfaces, but mm-hmm. you, if you, if, if I've had the experience I've wanted to have, I've learned something from each job and that in itself will continue on every job. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I sang for the first time in, the eyes of Tammy Faye. And now mm-hmm. I'm in musical rehearsals right now for, uh, you know, the Tammy Wynette um, thing I'm doing. So it's real, and which I'm bringing in what I learned <laughs> from prepping um, Tammy Faye. So I, I so hope cool. that every job we do, it's kind of like, Oh, look, I've looked, you know, I've learned this part from this and this from this. And um, I mean, really that's what life is, right. Mm-hmm. Hopefully by the time we're 80 and Oscar and I are, I don't know, doing a remake of on golden pond uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have like so much to pull from yeah that's super cool i will just add that also as far as like literally stuff i still use i still go to moni akim to work on current things so okay. for card counter we went back to one of the rooms and did some neutral mask work um i worked with him on lewin davis just physical embodiments and playing with with physicality. Um, so I, I'm still very directly, um, linked to all that training. Yeah. It goes back to that idea of fluidity, right? Like a takeaway here is the moment you set your process or your experience in stone and you kind of close yourself off. That's probably when you, I guess, stop being an artist. You're technically no longer an artist if you're not willing to grow and change. Right. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I, I just talked to a director a few hours ago and he's like, well, how do you like to be directed? And I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's always different. I, you know, and maybe it's me not being overly self-aware, but I feel like it's, it's always about 
the project and what what the the particular project's asking of you and what you need and the organic dynamic of what it's like to be on the set as opposed to I like to be directed this way mm -hmm. and I want you to speak to me this way every time you know I'm, I'm sure yeah. there's people that do work that way and probably do good work but that's a hard thing to imagine yeah yeah and I guess being you know rigid and um saying like, well, this is how I work, or this is my set of rules, or these are my thoughts. All that really is, is tension. All that is, is like, mm. you're closing yourself off. So you're not open to the possibilities of the moment to moment work of the beautiful things that can happen on set. I mean, I, I first learned that when I worked with um, Terrence Malick, and we were had wrapped the auditions for the little boys for the Tree of life. And there was one child that I thought was wonderful. And Terry said, Oh, I think he's a bit young. I said, yeah, but Terry, he's the same age as, as the kid you wrote in the script. And he said, Jessica, never, ever, don't look at the script. <laughs> I was oh. like, what? And he goes, yes, you read it, but then you just see what's in front of you. And you mm -hmm. see what's, what, it, that's how you're alive. You see what is in front of me and what is it feeding me? Um, and that's what you bring in. Um, and that's what you live. So that was, that was really um, monumental for me in terms of this career, but also life. You know, I, I come in with the years and the moments of of my life and my experience, but then I also need to be really present of what is this moment in front of me. And that really is truly what being alive is. Hmm. It's scary because, you know, I mean, in life and in movies and art, um, to be asked to be that vulnerable, you know, and so it makes sense that people want to protect you know, because sometimes you can be in a really tough situation with with someone that's directing that that hasn't earned your trust or has betrayed your trust in some way, or mm. or you know, and and the impulse is to well let let me close it all off and just control it, um, and that's a that's a really unfortunate situation to be in. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's such a beautiful segue because I wanted to ask about listening and yeah, being in the moment. Are aren't there times when you find yourself out of that? Like, how do you stay in that organic, even spontaneous, throwing the script away and being in the moment place? I do stuff sometimes when I'm acting, if I feel like I'm getting in my head, I'll mm -hmm. do something that kind of like embarrasses me. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, yeah, like if it's um, before action, if I'm starting to get like, thinking about what the scene is, I'll like, jump up and down or I'll just do something that just changes the energy or go la 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 or like make a loud noise mm. or something that kind of like doesn't allow me to be precious and cool I think that's you know for me cool is the killer of mm. um artistry and of um and of being in the moment so I try to do things that doesn't allow myself that protection and, it, and if I feel that I'm starting to arm up, I will just, I'll create an awkwardness. I'll, I'll do something that, you know, in front of a crew that just kind of like frees me and then, um, or dancing, something that I wouldn't normally do <laughs> like on the street, sure. but right before acting, I need to like get out of my head. That's great. I think about dying. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not in like a horribly morbid way, but in mm -hmm. a more freeing way, you know, it's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Everybody here is going to die. Yeah. Uh, and it just, uh, in a way, I think it maybe does a similar thing, which is like a, a lot of the pretension can fall away. Mm. And 
you know, the holding on doesn't matter so much. Uh, if I, if, you know, so it's a mixture of that. And then also, like Jessica said, just seeing what's in front of you, just trying to reconnect with literally what I'm seeing and, um, which I guess kind of goes back to that Alexander technique stuff, you know, where, mm. you know, trying to release the tension, trying to feel, feel your feet on the floor, breathing, remind, reminding myself to do those things and to, yeah, to really take in what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's exactly how I can, I can ask you guys about scenes from a marriage, which is kind of all of what you just described, like cranked up to 11 in my mind. But quick side note, um, we like asking, how do you memorize lines? Yeah. I memorize with a, a tape recorder. So what I do mm-hmm. is I um, record and I say the other characters' lines, and then I just mouth my lines, not, you know, and I say everything really flat, but mouth mm-hmm. my lines so you don't hear, but just so I understand the um, about tempo of what the line would be. And then when I play it back, I clean the house. I that you know I do anything cool. um, I can, and if I can if I can just flatly say with no emotion the pattern of the words mm-hmm. while I'm doing other things, then I know it's in my body and it's there, mm-hmm. and then I can really be free. Where I'm in a scene with another person who could literally just take a bucket of water and dump it on my head and surprise me, and I'm not going to get lost. Mm-hmm. Like I need to like make sure I'm, at, I'm the lines are so comfortable that no matter what happens, I'll know my way there. Very cool. Yeah, I uh, I think I, I I read it a lot, and I think I just uh, maybe I start to memorize the emotional kind of music of the thing, which mm-hmm. orients me to what the next line is to a certain extent. So um, I feel like I really understand the situation, and then the the lines kind of feel a little secondary on top of that, and then I'll have a really wonderful scene partner to run those lines with me beforehand. Um, but, um, I think it tends to be in that, that place. I, I, a couple times I've, uh, recorded, uh, just my lines and sometimes we'll listen to them before I go to sleep just so they kind of go in huh. there subconsciously, you know? Interesting. Mm. Very cool. <laughs> it's interesting, Jessica, you just said, that's interesting. Cause in my mind, the two of you don't have any acting secrets from each other, especially after scenes from a marriage, but Maybe in the course of this interview, you will discover things about each other's process. I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, how did you, I mean, how did you get involved in the in Scenes for Marriage? And, you know, how did you create these characters? I'm just curious about how in tandem it was and how collaborative it was between the two of you. Well, our, Oscar started first. Um, mm. Do you want to start, Oscar? Yeah, em- emotionally, it was always in tandem because uh, I, I met Hagai and I hadn't been offered the role. We were just meeting, uh, and he told me a bit about it. Uh, it had been on my radar from when uh, Ivan van Hove uh, was doing a production of it. Uh, I think it was 2015, I think it was. Um, so I, I actually had the, um, the script in book form. And, uh, and anyway, so I, I was excited to meet about it. And then after the meeting was over, that day I wrote to Jessica just to say, hey, I had this meeting. I haven't been offered the role, but... Um, you know, I just wanted to put it on your radar and I just feel like this is an obvious thing for the two of us to do. It'd be amazing to do it together. Um, I think literally I said, you're the only person I'd want to do this with. Uh, Mm. and, and then it got offered to a couple dudes, fancy guys and (laughs) (laughs) two or three maybe. And, uh, and then uh, deep on the bench, I got it. (laughs) And, uh, 
And then uh, Jessica wasn't available, I think, when we were going to do it. And then um, with the pandemic that happened and schedules shifted and luckily it came to fruition. So, so yeah. And then we were, you know, I think, uh, Jessica, you, you got the role like two days before we were rehearsing, right? Yeah, I got Senate. I mean, yes, you know, um, everything Oscar said. And then, and of course, when I got the email from him, I immediately uh, responded, yes, I would love to do this with you. And, you know, is it possible that everyone can wait because I was supposed to do a doll's house uh, mm-hmm. on the West end um, before the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, everything happened, COVID and all of that stuff. So I got another email from Oscar that was like, listen, um, and, you know, I know that other people had been cast and they were moving forward. But then when those castings fell out, uh, Oscar emailed me again and said, you know, remember, I, I reached out to you in the beginning. I really want to do this with you. Can you look at the scripts? You know, I looked at the scripts and I, I mean, I think I respond, I, even before I read the scripts, I wrote to him, I'm like, I definitely, you know, it's like, I love you. I love working with you. So let me, let me just figure this out because it was so quick. I needed to read the scripts and I just needed to meet the director to make sure because it was so last minute. I didn't want to be in a situation where, you know, the director was picturing someone else the whole time. That's like the worst thing. Um, mm. And you, you, you can't, you can't break through that, you know? And so I just needed to make sure it made sense. And it did. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, I wouldn't have, I, I definitely wouldn't have signed on so quickly if I didn't know. I, I just saw it all in front of me when I read it with Oscar. You know, I, I just saw him. I saw me. I knew it mm-hmm. made sense. And um, it just felt like a, an easy yes. Well, there was also, I, I got to ask about the source material, as it were. Because, um, Jessica, you have a, you had a relationship with Liv Ullman. Yeah. And the reality is, I mean, I love Lee. I, you know, she directed me and Miss Julie. Um, mm. She's, I just worship her work. I And if the project had come to me to play Marianne, I definitely would have said no. Uh, because I, I just mm. think her performance is, it's just nothing to be improved upon. I don't understand why you would ever do that. And luckily no one else <laughs> thought that, you, that 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 should be done as well because um the gender uh, hence the gender reversal yeah uh so that that to me made it very exciting especially thinking like you know in modern terms of gender looking through the lens of 2020 is is exciting to me for sure and maybe that's also where the producing comes into it do your roles as producers are they totally separate from your role as actor are they two different hats in this process it's different for every process for me because um, I have a production company and we develop a lot and we're very, very involved at an early stage. Mm-hmm. You know, Tammy Faye, we worked on for 10 years, basically. Amazing. Um, yeah. Um, so this is such a last minute scenario. I guess the only, I mean, I can't come in and like, I'm not going to tell them how to rebuild the house. You know, it was already a great house when I came in. <laughs> so it was more of, uh, we, you know, Oscar and Haggai and um, talking about the journey of these characters and also the sense of like, you know, we would see cuts and um, give notes mm-hmm. um, and, and all of that. But Haggai really, I mean, I would say this is really his, his baby. Um, he, he's the, um, I give him sole credit on any kind of uh, creation aspects of this. Hmm. 
the logical next question is, without getting too personal and without delving into your personal lives, you must have, again, in tandem, I love this idea of like creating emotionally these two characters in tandem. How much are you drawing on your personal relationship with each other and your own personal romances in kind of like recreating this dynamic? Jessica, you said that by the end of this shoot, you were feeling each other's thoughts and there was no wall between us, which as a viewer, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I mean, there's no wall between us when we're acting. It's obvious that we were like, we have lives at home and then we have these characters Mm -hmm. and it, it absolutely was absolutely clear to me from the very beginning in rehearsal that there was a trust aspect of this project that is very rare um, Mm. on most things. I mean, it was like the third day of our rehearsal when we were kind of just reading through stuff. And I read through episode four Mm. and it really disturbed me. Um, and I think it, cause it surprised me in a way, like, I don't think it's often, especially me, I'm never asked to play like humiliation or debasement. I'm just, it's not something I've ever really explored in my work. And actually it's not something I really see um, that kind of like what, where Mira goes in that episode. I mean, she really, she kind of throws away everything. Like all of a sudden she's like, yeah, I'll have a kid. Like she has no, she kind of goes in a direction that's really not true to anything of who she is, you know, except for she loves this person. And I, you know, we read it and I was so kind of like, oh gosh, like this fear of like, where am I going to have to go? How am I going to get there? It is so dark. And Mm. no one else really saw it, but Oscar saw it because it was, we were, it was afterwards. And, um, he just like looked over him and goes, Hey, you okay, Jess? And, um, I knew it was going to be an issue because if I was struggling with something, mm-hmm. there would be no privacy of my thoughts because my dear friend was going to know the things that I was, was dealing with. So this was a project unlike any other I've ever had that really um, afforded zero privacy. And that includes like thoughts, it includes space. I mean, we were really like, even the way with COVID, we were all, you know, in this pod together. So it really, um, it was, it was tough in that aspect, but also I think that's for me, why the work feels so authentic um, because of that. Absolutely. I also just think that the obvious question then is like, yeah, talking about this privacy and this vulnerability, is this healthy? Um, where do acting mm-hmm. and therapy, not therapy maybe, but was it must have been cathartic to film these scenes and even to rehearse these scenes? Was there actual catharsis? And is there a danger in playing that that raw? Um, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. In some ways, I think... A catharsis is for the audience, hopefully. Um, but mm. yeah, I, I don't remember feeling a whole lot of catharsis uh, in acting these things out um, because the tension was never relieved, you know? And in some way, like the catharsis, you feel like, okay, there's a, that's like a letting go of it all. And, and it almost feels like that never really happens. I mean, even even to the very end, um, there's still this this inner conflict and this inner tension, at, at least for certainly for Jonathan, um, at the end there. So, 
So yeah, it's uh, it is. It's very challenging. I think it's it's, it's challenge. The, the situation, as Jessica described, was already challenging because just the nature of how close it all was, um, what was happening, you know, with the pandemic, uh, the fact that it was certain circumstances reflected our own lives with having very young children and um, sure. you know. Uh, married uh, at the ages that the characters are you know there's oftentimes when i'm playing much older or younger mm. uh, throughout their careers and, and this one you know didn't didn't feel like there was a lot of reaching very far for um understanding this uh some of the circumstances um certainly not all of them but um that's some of them so so yeah i think sometimes it could feel at least for me very uncanny um you know i've talked about filming you know at the end of the day with a little girl five-year-old girl in a little wooden bed uh, reading a story to her with this little bunny lamp on and then rushing home to get into another little bed and read a book to my four-year-old with the same bunny lamp on and you know the the that sometimes would feel a little um unsettling sure yeah i guess for me also it's <laughs> i mean actors i i I get a lot of help from actors. I'm good friends with um, Jeremy Strong, who I've also been friends with for close to 40 years. And while I was, you know, shooting this and like the stuff that I was, knew that was coming up and that was going to be really difficult. We talked a lot and he was always sending me quotes. That's like his expertise is like, he's like read everything and has like the most, the, the greatest quotes to give. And there was one thing he read and I'm trying to think about it, you know, who, it, who it's attributed to. Um, I can't quite remember, but it's about like the best work feeling like it's dangerous and there's like an emotional danger to it. That was difficult for me. I mean, I was really inspired by Jeremy and I was inspired by also like the pandemic and everything going on, the material. And it was so exciting, but this experience, it was quite dark. And yeah. It's not cathartic in terms of, I don't believe in therapy through acting. Gotcha. Um, you know, I mean, you, I believe you can pull things up, but I don't think you can resolve them. Hmm. And so, I mean, having finished this experience, I'm just, I, for sure, I'm never going to, I don't know that I'm ever going to go to that kind of, like the darkness I go to in episode four is, I, I don't know that it's something I ever need to do again. Um, I yeah. feel like I've done it. And, you know, when I finished the project, I was absolutely not in a good place. Um, and I had like some stuff that I had to, you know, sift through with a professional therapist <laughs> afterwards. So um, I think I, I don't like the idea of connecting acting to therapy. I think it can it can make things surface, but you really mm -hmm. need to to be careful with yourself and kind to yourself to um, then, you know, go through what you discovered. Yeah, it's it, it can be, I was, I was talking to a friend, an acting, uh, a friend of mine, and we were saying, it's like, yeah, it's that thing sometimes where, you know, you can be in a scene and you're like, what appendage do I have to cut off to be 10% better? You know, I'll do it. I'll cut well, off my arm, you know, and then a year later, you can be like, I don't even know, I don't even, I don't even care about that movie. But in the moment, sometimes <laughs> it's like, it just feels like everything. So I think finding, you know, it's like finding the balance between risking and being dangerous in your work, but also maintaining some sense of like uh, internal boundaries. I think that's yes. a, that was definitely something to think about after this, you know? 
It's really excellent advice. And I think that that goes for actors at all levels, like mm-hmm. encountering a project like this, or I'd love to bring it back to the early career side of things. Like, are these the kinds of lessons you wish you had learned earlier? Like, did Juilliard prepare you guys for this stuff? What is it about the early career that you wish you'd known, especially in terms of this idea of, yeah, vulnerability versus boundaries, protecting yourself? I'm not sure there's anything anyone could have told me or would have told me that would have made me not want to, you know, at every moment, put it all out on the line, you know, risk Hmm. it all. Um, I think that, that, that there is something about, you know, youth and when you're starting out that, that that's just the natural impulse, but, um, but things shift, you know, Uh, I think as Jessica said too, like these things are fluid, things move, things change. And, that's also an exciting thing to know is that the way you feel right now is not always the way you're going to feel. Yeah. And when I was young, I felt like acting has to cost something. Yeah. There's a sense like you have to, it's a sacrifice in some, in some way. And I, and even in talking about, you know, the difficulty on this project, I don't see it as something that it's like cost me. I see it as a gift. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a reframing maybe for younger people. So instead of thinking like I have to martyr myself at the altar of emotion or whatever it is, (laughs) instead of thinking like it shouldn't hurt in reality, because to be vulnerable with another person, to be intimate, to be open, to have an audience see themselves in you and to connect to you and to feel bigger part of humanity is, is a great gift. And to share that openness and to share that intimacy and to share all bits of who you are and how we are all connected is a beautiful gift. And it's not a sacrifice. So I think that's something um, I would have loved to, you know, let myself know in college when you're feeling like I have to suffer from my art. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, you know, love is a beautiful thing. And I feel, I see art and love as the same thing. It's, a, it's an mm. openness. It's an expansiveness. It's a willing to be vulnerable. And, um, and that's, it, that's, I think, the most beautiful thing that we're able to experience. Is the Flaubert, maybe it's a Flaubert quote, like be safe in your life so you can be dangerous in your art? Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that feels so apt for this exact project and maybe, yeah, for projects in general where it's just been said on this podcast before that, yeah, this idea of sacrificing to the emotional altar is an early career thing. And that's also when you have more energy to do that. <laughs> and then as things as things progress, maybe you're more, you kind of get more concerned or maybe just better at creating those boundaries and having a professional life and a personal life. Like, do you guys think about a work-life balance? Yeah, very very much so. I mean, obviously, kids make you, you know, force you into uh, understanding that balance. But uh, yeah, I think that's a for me. It's definitely a new place. Just trying to figure it out and still not being great at it. Um, you know, because there's so many years of my life. I mean, a, a vast majority has been spent like wanting the chance, wanting to be given the chance, given the opportunity. You know, looking for someone to say yes, and it's been a very small window of time where. I have been getting those opportunities and mm-hmm. having to learn how to say no has been a real education and incredibly stressful in some ways more stressful than just waiting for someone to say yes, you know, um, mm. uh, then that was something I wasn't quite prepared for. Yeah. And you don't go through it until you go through it. 
as right. with as with all of life's biggest lessons. You just said it has to be trial and error, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you both so much. I have to let you go soon. We have these this series of questions that are very backstagey, maybe even nerdy, and. Oh, I love nerdy more than anything. Exactly. Lay it on me. Exactly. I've also spoken to Nicole Bahari, by the way. You you all kind oh, of yeah. brought up Juilliard and she does really terrific work in this show. Yeah. Anyway, um, we got to talk auditions. Um, <laughs> what is the audition advice? What is the audition philosophy? Do you guys embrace auditions? Do you dread them? Uh, I, I dread them a little bit. Um, I, 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 you know, I auditioned for something in March, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, they, 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 they call it something different now. They're like, eh, he just wants to do a work through, you know? Um, oh. but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, they're, 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 they're challenging. They're tough, but I think, you know, my, my brother is a, is an actor as well, and he's, he's doing a lot of auditioning and I think it's just, uh, just taking ownership of of the space of that you have to make something you know mm-hmm. and i think that's always a better audition mm-hmm. uh, that i see whenever it's someone just taking the um the moment to really enjoy themselves and not worry so much about landing the gig and i know that's a much easier th- said than done especially when you really want it mm-hmm. but um it is really about letting go and, um, you know, doing the thing you love, even in that little that little window of space that you have. Wonderful. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, it's interesting being on both sides because hmm. um, I actually, I haven't, it's been a long time since I've auditioned. Sure. Um, but I go right now to auditions mm. for projects. Mm. I knew you were going to say that. I was like, how do I say this in a tech way? I don't want to lie. <laughs> I just, I haven't auditioned in a while. And, um, but the reality is I love going to other people's auditions. So I love mm-hmm. reading with people. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, I spent years like fighting for jobs. And now I'm on the other side of it where, you know, I, I want to be there. Like if someone, like when I was, um, doing woman walks ahead. Like I got to meet, um, meet and read with Michael gray eyes for sitting bull. Mm. And the things that I've discovered with being on auditions and meeting people who are coming in is don't give your power away. I mean, it's like what Oscar said, it's like taking your space mm. because sometimes, and it's almost, it's like, wow, I wish I had known this, you know, 10 years ago when, or whatever, when I was audit- this, you know, going into rooms, it's like, the best auditions are the ones where the person coming in knows that they're equal. That's it's not right. like sees themselves as equal. They know that they're equal. Mm. And, um, you know, when Michael Gray eyes came in and he was like, you know, he was working as a professor in Toronto and he had, you know, he hadn't really had an opportunity and it's this lead role of this movie. Mm-hmm. He just blew us away because he came in and he knew damn well that he he was the one for the part and Mm -hmm. that he basically completely took over the space if he wanted to stand he stood Mm -hmm. he didn't ask permission he was absolutely respectful but he um he claimed it and that's something it's like you see it immediately if someone comes in and they're terrified then Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to play equals in a scene yeah 
or desperate or needy, all of that yes. stuff. Yes, unless the character is that. Sure. But, you know, you have to try to create within you what the character is bringing in. Love that. Yeah, totally. Do either of you have a worst audition horror story? I know Oscars. <laughs> oh my gosh, tell Oscars. <laughs> Oscars, he went to this audition um, with this director and this actor. And the actor, <laughs> very a famous guy, picked Josh up Brolin. the camera. Oh my God, I can't believe you said his name. Oh my God. Why? We love Josh. We love Josh. This was Josh is amazing. This, he's amazing. And like Oscars and a love affair with him. Aren't you in a movie with him right now? Yeah, yeah he's one of my dearest friends now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he picked up the camera and got right in Oscar's face and was like being very frenetic. Um, and then went behind a glass door with the director and they started like <laughs> silently yelling at each other with their hands. It was a movie that never ended up happening. And I think, you know, it was just, <laughs> yeah, it was uh -uh. Like, he's like, on the day, remember, there's going to be cameras there. So you get up, just, you have to just like do your, you have to just do your speech and ignore me. And he like put the camera right in front of my face and was like moving it around, trying to distract me. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was so lame. And like the, and the director was just like cowering in the corner, didn't know what to oh, do. God. Um, Please but, tell me uh, you and Josh laugh about it now. We laugh so much about it. It's the, it's good. one of his most embarrassing stories. Whenever mm. I say, I, it's I, so I, like, he says that his, his butthole just puckers up in shame. Oh God. <laughs> Do you remember my embarrassed, my worst audition story? No, no. Oh, oh. What was it? It was um, a man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who um, another actor who um, came? I came in and he was just. I mean, it's not as good as yours because yours is more crazy. But um, <laughs> he literally, like, the director was like, "This is Jessica Chastain. She's currently playing Desdemona with Philip Seymour Hoffman in Othello." Wow. And then he started like reciting Hamlet in front of me. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. I remember Do you remember you this guy? Yes. Yeah. And then I came into the room and I said, and he sat down and I said, is it okay if we stand? And he was like, it's your audition, own the room. And I was like, oh my God, I was just being polite. Stand up, please. Nice. And then I was supposed to kiss him, but he was such a jerk. I was like, I don't want this movie. So I mm. wouldn't get near him in the audition and it was in front of everyone. And then and he's a big old movie star, big, big at the time. And, um, and then after the Josh first, Brolin. no, it was not Josh Brolin. I'd have no, no problem. Um, no, but, uh, then after the, the director asked the actor, you know, do you have any notes for her? And he goes, yeah, my mouth is here. And he pointed to his mouth. Ew, gross. No. <laughs> yeah. I still didn't kiss him. Cause I was like, I cannot just get me out of this room. I hate you. Um, and then I saw him years later, like two years later, like in 2011, when I had seven movies come out and he was yes. talking to, to Mike Shannon. And I went over to talk to Mike and Mike's like, Hey, this is Jessica. And the guy goes, Oh yeah, you got good. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, you're still an asshole. <laughs> you got good. He didn't tell me that. That's all. Yeah. That is horrific. Wow. Yeah. Both have something to do with like a uh, famous actor, Oscar. Yeah. What is it about these uh, men? <laughs> Toxic men. <laughs> no. no. Berlin's a sweet puppy dog. It was, just a, it was just a weird day. 
<laughs> it was it's so funny. Yeah. Those are great. The fact that you guys know each other's worst audition horror stories is like, that's never happened on this podcast before. So thank you. <laughs> well, I um, told you, we read each other's minds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. You guys are ideal. This is so wonderful. Thank you. Um, thank you. It was good to talk to you. Yeah. One last question. This okay. is the tough one. I'm totally putting you on the spot, but oh, I always geez. ask, what is one performance you think every actor should see and study and why? Oh, Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon. Okay. Um, it's just uh, perfect. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's totally alive. Spon- feels spontaneous. It's it's something that I've, I've I've seen that movie more than any other movie, specifically okay. just to watch what he's doing. And you know, a lot of it is spontaneous. Like the whole thing of like, what country do you want to go to? And John yeah. Cazale <laughs> says Wyoming. And the look on Al's face, he had no idea John was going to say Wyoming. That's not, that's not a country. That, that, that's, all that's, right. all, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all improv. Um, yeah. And you can and, tell and, him Charles Durning are improvising that whole yeah. section as well. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. And Attica, too, when he goes outside and he yells mm-hmm. Attica, he mm-hmm. told me that it, that um, an assistant, that one of the um, ADs said, hey, yell Attica. He's like, oh what? And he didn't really understand it. And mm-hmm. so he just kind of went and you see him all shiny goes Attica and the, all of the extras lose their mind because there's a big riot in Attica. Right. It just happened. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole thing was all like improv as well. Good choice, Oscar. Love yours. Mm. Yeah. Good one. Mine's different a little bit, but Al, mm-hmm. Al Pacino, I have two for, there's two of, you know, for me, it's the, the greatest living film actors and it's Al Pacino and, um, Isabel Huppert. I was going to guess, were you going to say Isabel? Yes. Yeah. And um, it's funny because they're very different, both both incredibly dangerous, I guess, in their work. If we're like in our, our theme of like the unknown uh, and it's the piano mm-hmm. teacher. I walked into that Amazing. movie theater having no idea what I was going to see. And, you know, Oscar talked about the neutral mask. Um, for me, that whole performance is the neutral mask. And it's one of the greatest lessons in film acting because she really doesn't do a lot. She just is. Mm -hmm. She thinks the thoughts. And so we think them with her and she's so bold and she's so like raw and where she, she goes to the ugliest places I think I've ever seen um, an actress be allowed to go. Um, And, you know, when I talked about humiliation in episode four and it's just, it's not something that's really called to us. There's so many times in that movie where she is just, you know, an abject debasement. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are two very uncool performances. <laughs> absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And so for me, it's in, they're, it's so inspiring. So great. Those are two so, just terrific examples. Thank you both so much. Do you have any uh, parting words of wisdom for working actors? I guess I would say, you know what I would say? I'd say this. When we were at school, um, David Suchet, um, Ray Fiennes, and Philip Hoffman came um, to speak while I was a student there. And I'm not sure if any of those coincide, you know, with your class, Oscar. But the amazing thing was I ended up working with them. And when I was on set with each each person, I was like, this in the industry and this group is in this community is so small. And it happens constantly where you're right on, you're listening to a podcast like this and you're thinking like, mm-hmm. oh, I just want a chance. I just want to have this experience and then we'll be on set together. It's gonna, it literally happens all the time. And um, it's when you least expect it. It's when you really stop 
um, caring because you stop forcing, you stop pushing, you, you start owning the space more. You allow yourself to um, be equals and see that we all are like equals in our work. Mm-hmm. And once you get out of your own way, it just happens. And so I guess that would be like the last note. It's just like, I can't wait to see you guys on set. Yeah. Yeah. And we all feel imposter syndrome sometimes. I still do. <laughs> so yeah. again, it's like remembering that, yeah. You're allowed there. And in a little parting thing too, um, you know, be nice to everybody because you don't know yes. where they're going to end up too. Absolutely. <laughs> they might be your bosses <laughs> down the line. <laughs> totally. Probably they will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, Two perfect notes to end on. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Of course. Thanks. is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.